This is a Bulldog Radio Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Most Valuable Sports Podcast. I'm joined, of course, by my man, Nagy Joe, Joe Nagy, Joe B-Wan Kenobi, whatever you want to call him. Joe, welcome back to the show. It's great to be back. Last show before we head back up to the studio. Last show before we go yes. back, uh, back to school for break. So very exciting. Um, you know, was happy that we got on break, but now I just want to go back up to school and get the pod rolling again back in the studio. So. Yes, of course, being in the studio is a lot of fun. I mean, recording here virtually, we thank you guys for bearing with us. Obviously, technology can be a very varying thing. So we appreciate you guys still listening to us, even though our quality isn't as great. But we promise you next week, it will be definitely better. But we got a lot to get into today. A lot of football being played over the last week. Um, Notably, the NFL, we now know who is in the playoffs. We're going to discuss that as week 17 is wrapped to a close. The postseason is officially upon us, and it was quite a few games that I think went pretty expected, and there were some games that did not go as expected. That was a really interesting to see thing to see. I think we could agree that the Buccaneers being the Falcons was expected, 44 to 27. Tom Brady is back in the playoffs, and well, actually, I did find this out um, the other day. I'm um, listening to the Pick Six Pod from CBS Sports. Those guys do a great job, but. Tom Brady will actually be playing in his first wild card game on the road of his career. That's mind-boggling. Really? Really? That's that's actually insane. How like Yeah. That's like incredible, he's been really. they've been so good years? enough. 20 yeah. years that he's like, never played in a wild card. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, not necessarily a wild card, but they weren't the favorite. Like they are the they have the lowest wild card seating really Tom Brady's ever had because anytime they've been in the wild card, they've either been so high they're at home or they've even bypassed the wild card. That's just crazy. That's that just shows how good Tom, I mean, not just how good Tom Brady is, but just like just how prolific his career has been. Cause like, that's really impressive. I mean, they play Washington. So I don't think, I don't think that they'll lose this game per se. It'll probably just be close because Washington's kind of been able to pick it up these past couple of games and like the last couple of weeks. And I think Chase Young has really started to really fit in well and finally hit his stride. I mean, I mean he's probably going to get defensive rookie of the year anyway, so we'll see what happens. But Buccaneers, I mean, that's just impressive. Yeah, I mean, the really the three-headed monster they have at receiver, which actually could turn into a two-headed monster. We're not sure what's going on with Mike Evans as he has, I believe, hyperextended his knee is really the, the diagnosis. So we're going to see um, the MRI said it came back clean. What does that mean? We really don't know as far as when he's going to be back on the football field. But I'm sure the Buccaneers would love to have him as a weapon, especially how great he's been in the red zone. But Washington is the team that makes it out of the NFC least. It has been a wild ride for any Cowboys, Giants, Eagles, or football team fan because it has just been it's been crazy. And the fact is they won the division at 7-9. and nine. Typical NFC East. We're not surprised. But yet again, I think this is probably the best team that we could have put in in the postseason in the NFC East. So, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, it really was just like I think every team in the NFC East had a chance. If they won their game, they'd be in the playoffs. But if they lost, they get a top ten draft pick, which is like ridiculous. <laughs> it just shows how flip, 
how unreasonably bad that the NFC East is. And, and I mean, rightfully exactly. so, they call the NFC least. But, like, it's just it's just something that really just mind-boggles me. I, I do think that Washington is the best team to come out of the NFC East because I don't really think any other team really could have put on – I don't say put on a show, but really put up any competition against the Buccaneers. I feel like the Wash, Washington football team is only the only defense that'll probably be able to really challenge that three receiving that three headed monster receiving group. But other than I mean, other than that, I really don't know. Obviously, Buccaneers are going to be the favorite for this matchup, and I think Tom Brady finally being back in the playoffs, he's going to just flip on that Tom Brady switch. He probably wants redemption, especially since they lost to the uh, when he was on the Patriots and they lost to the Titans way back when, when uh, they kind of shocked the world a little bit, and he probably wants redemption for that. So definitely going to be seeing uh, that killer Tom Brady out, uh, out coming up uh, this weekend. So very excited uh, just to see what, how, what this game holds. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting, and especially the way Washington's defense is played, and that's one of the reasons I believe that they truly made the playoffs is their post their, their defense has been so great that it's going to be exciting to see them in the postseason because – their front their front seven can really get after a quarterback and we saw that a lot against the Eagles Jalen Hurts was really flustered and then that whole situation gets comes down he gets benched for Nate Sudfeld Doug Peterson changes up the offensive scheme everyone's confused Giants fans of course are mad because they already beat the Cowboys at this point and they need the Eagles to beat the, the the football team to make it into the postseason but and so of course Perfect timing. It looks like the Eagles are tanking, regardless if they were or not. But also, Giants fans, can't you uh, at least understand the fact that you guys should have beaten some of the teams that you played already to the point where six wins? Yeah, you I mean, shouldn't, have, six you shouldn't wins. have been relying on only this game. Like, there's a lot of times where you should have been able to win during the regular season, but. I don't know. It's just funny to see how bad that division is and just to see really what <laughs> what qualifies as a playoff team coming out of the East. But <laughs> I just can only laugh at it. But, <laughs> like, I, I just can only laugh. It's funny. It, it was just crazy because, I mean, here's it's just so, like, okay, you beat the Cowboys. You did what you had to do. Fair. Now, of course, Joe Judge is saying, oh, the Eagles – the Eagles have to be true to the game. They they can't they can't take their foot off the gas at any point because that's going against the game. And I, I understand that point of view. And I mean, frankly, we don't want to see teams just like, oh, we're two and six. Let's just let's just stop playing, lose every game, play our second string the whole year. I understand that. And frankly, like the Jets didn't believe in that. So the Jets won yeah. two games. I thought that was interesting, but the fact is is if you're the Giants, you can't just rely on the Eagles to beat the Washington football team. Like, you have the idea to get in the – like, they literally lost their last five games. They lost to the Eagles in week seven. Like, there were so many games that you could have won. And now you're complaining that the Eagles didn't pull it out. Now, what reason is, of course, makes the argument, like, yeah, they're tanking. That's not true to the game or whatever. But – you have the opportunity. You have the opportunity num- numerous times, numbers and numbers, so many times to change that. You didn't. You literally lost to the Eagles and the Buccaneers by less than a field goal. Those are easily games you can win. You flip those two games, and even the Cowboys, after that crazy game when Andy Dalton gave the game comeback, there's three games that could flip the switch, and we're not even mentioning this. 
So in reality, Giants fans, they're, they, I don't know. They're, I don't know. They're, they're crying, but the fact is they shouldn't have had to worry about that. Yeah. Happens. It's, it's just funny to think, but I mean, we can go over the other wild card round for the uh, uh, Ravens versus Titans. That one's going to be a pretty good game. The Ravens haven't really had the greatest season. Titans too have kind of had a lackluster season compared to the past couple ones, but either way, it's going to be a good one. Ravens defense versus Derrick Henry and then Titans defense versus, I mean, basically everything that the Ravens have. It's definitely going to be good. It's not going to disappoint. Yeah. Running, running. And more running. That's what we're going to see a lot of in this game. Derrick Henry. Well, it'll be a few passes sprinkled in every once in a while, but it's just going to be oh, a, yeah. a gr- yeah. ground game for sure. Yeah, you're, we're going to see probably over 50 running back touches in this game as far as carries combined at least, if not more, towards 75. It sounds crazy to think that, but, I mean, we, we might see less than 30 passes. It's re- I think it's realistic because – I mean, you have the two two of the best running offenses in the NFL. You, one of them's for one guy, Derrick Henry, and then you got the three-headed monster with the Ravens when you got Gus Edwards, Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, and then you add Lamar Jackson. So I, this is going to be fun. I think this is going to be a really interesting game because the Ravens obviously felt they should have done a lot better last year. And, I mean, it, it's just going to be great. Number one yeah. running rushing offense against number two. We're going to see a yeah. lot of rushing. It's, be, it's definitely going to be fundamental old school football. And I know a lot of, a lot of dads exactly. and a lot of, a lot of grandpas are going to really like, to watch <laughs> this I'm going to be pretty excited too, because we really haven't seen a matchup like this um, with more run heavy offenses, basically any other time when the Titans and the Ravens don't play each other during the year, especially these past couple of years. So, I'm I'm excited. I know my dad is probably going to be excited because he loves watching the, <laughs> watching those types of games be played out. Um, but you know, we'll see. I don't know if the ratings are going to be that great because it's not going to be super fun. To, it's going definitely not going to have too many big plays uh, unless there's big runs, especially. But uh, you know, looking forward to it, especially kind of a nice change of pace, uh, especially for playoff football. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be a fun game, and I think I'll, I think a lot of people are going to probably be tuning in because this game's at one on Sunday. I think that there's possibly going to be pro I don't, I don't know if there'll be more viewership on Saturday. Cause there are some pretty good games on Saturday. One of them is Indianapolis Buffalo. That's definitely, I think a lot of people are going to be watching that one because the bills, Josh Allen, Brian Dable, that offense is firing on all cylinders. I mean, they absolutely just flat out smash the dolphins. I mean, Poor, poor Dolphins fans, because realistically, we were talking about them as a playoff team for sure. But, of course, the AFC looks absolutely loaded compared to the NFC. And realistically, Dolphins are better than any of the NFC East teams. It is what it is. But the fact is, this game's going to be fun. I mean, both. I wouldn't say the Colts have necessarily a same type of explosive offense as the Bills. But, I mean, their defense has been great. That's this year, and I think that's one reason this game is going to be really interesting to see a really, really fundamentally solid defense against a high-powered, gunslinging offense with Josh Allen. So it's going to be fun to see. Can Phillip Rivers ride his team into the sunset and maybe hang it up? We don't know. It's going to be a fun game to find out. Yeah, hopefully he can get the job done uh, because I'd love to see him 
finish out on a Super Bowl, finally get that ring that he's oh he's incredibly deserving of. But we'll see what happens. I mean, the Bills, they're fine. Like like we've said in the past couple episodes, it went from them being starting off super hot, going through a midseason slump, finally picking up really when it mattered, and then we'll see if they can bring it uh, come come postseason time, if they can really bring it when it counts. But, I mean, Colts, they've been consistent all year. I mean, every once in a while they get the loss, every once in a while they get the bad game. But other than that, like, Michael Pittman has really started to show a stride. Uh, Philip Rivers, he took a little bit to get comfortable with this new offense, but I think he's really starting to really show out and really be comfortable now. And I think that's going to be the the difference, really, is if Phil, if, yeah, Phil Philip Rivers is just going to be able to, I mean, take control because Josh Allen, he'll be able to chuck the ball far, but I don't know if they're going to be able to do that during, against this Indianapolis Colts defense. So we'll see what happens. I don't think, I don't think that. Uh, the, the Bills' passing offense is going to be as uh, lethal this this upcoming game. And I don't think that the uh, – that the uh, well, I almost had the Chargers, but I don't think that the Colts' offense is going to be as lethal as well because I think the Bills might be able to stop them a little bit. But it's going to be a very hard-nosed, uh, well-matched up. As I said, it's probably going to be a blowout either in one of the directions. But definitely going to be a close game. Very much looking forward to it. I'm going to be tuning in most definitely, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think – I think definitely everybody's going to be wanting to watch Bills O versus Colts D because that's really where the game's going to be. I mean, how how the Bills adjust to that Colts defense that'll likely, metaphorically speaking, right now will probably be playing zone. I think that's going to be the fair basis. They're pretty good at it. And that's really, I think, one of the ways that they can contain the Bills because man-to-man, I mean, you got John Brown and Stephon Diggs they are going to beat you over the top it seems like at least five times out of 10. So it's, I think that's going to be probably a really interesting thing, but Philip Rivers in a playoff game, we we've seen some of the magic before. We've also seen some of the opposite. So what Philip Rivers we see on, on Saturday is really what's going to tell the tale, but Rams Seahawks, this game's going to be real interesting to me at least because the Rams won last week. They, it was, it was, it was, it was weird. It was really weird. Jared Goff, um, his thumb's not facing the right way, so he couldn't play in this game. So they called on a quarterback with a LinkedIn page, and he ends up getting the W for the Rams. It was insane. But, um, yeah, quick – we should give a quick little clap shout-out. The man, the myth, the legend. Um, I mean, we don't even need to say his name because he's literally a legend right now. You, if you don't know who I'm talking about – you need to look up the Rams quarterback and see what he's all about because it's really, really funny how that situation all came out. But anyway, Rams defense, Joe, you love them. And there's reasonably so because they've been great against a struggling Seattle offense. That could be the tell of a tale right there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Rams obviously haven't been doing too well this whole season. They've had a Ever since that C, ever since that Super Bowl run, they really haven't had too much success, uh, really in any kind of situation. I mean, their defense has stayed consistent, but that offense has just been struggling. And I mean, Seattle now, if DK can really step it up and Russell can step it up as well, I think that'll kind of prove it to be uh, a pretty much of a a detrimental um, effect. But I don't know, dude. Jalen Ramsey has just been so well against uh big uh, against like the main uh, receivers and I don't think I DK obviously 
outweighs him, is taller than him, probably is just going to out physical, just has better physicality than him. But like I said, he's just been able to really shut down receivers when it really counts. So we'll see what happens there. But I mean, if Russell, if that, if DK gets shut down, that's one of his main avenues of where he always throws to kind of out the window. So we'll, I mean, it could it could really prove a huge effect if uh, if DK can get shut down, and then the and then the Rams defense can really shut down the run game as well. Then I don't think Seattle can have a chance, and especially like you said, Brandon, they're struggling. They're not where they used to be in the start of the season. They're not really, I mean, that classic Seattle that's classic Seattle team that really has been kind of dominant over these past couple of years. So I don't know. It's it's a situation where it's a lot of stuff has to go right for the Rams to win this game, and a lot of stuff has to go wrong for the Seattle to lose this game. It kind of goes both ways. So, I don't know. It's it's a toss-up, really. Yeah. I'll, all right, fine. I'll say his name. John Wolford. I mean, th- this guy's feeling how much pressure right now because, realistically, he's going to have to be the guy that's going to have to take on the <laughs> – he's the one – He's literally the one guy after everything you've went through, you finally squeak your way in the playoffs, and now you're going to be playing with your backup quarterback, which honestly could be a good thing because Jared Goff has not been great in some of the playoff games he's been in so far. So, But the thing that really gets me about, like Seattle's offense earlier in this, this year started off games with 38, 35, 38 points against the Falcons, Patriots, Cowboys, and really the last seven games, if you look at it outside of the Jets, and you could even say eight, um, outside of the Jets, they've been held under 28 points or at 28 points or lower. And most of the last three games have pretty much been at 20. That's a little alarming when you got Russell Wilson as your quarterback. And I understand like he's going to be a different kind of playmaker when it comes to these crucial games. Like they're, they're not necessarily worried about how many points they score. It's more about just winning the football game. And I get that. But their offense has been a little stagnant. I mean, when they faced the Rams in week 10, some of their receivers, frankly, I mean, really wasn't great games from Lockett or Metcalf. They weren't they weren't themselves. And those corners for the Rams know how, how to churn up receivers. And we've seen that in no matter who it is. And Jalen Ramsey, you mentioned, it's been fantastic. Whoever's on the other side of the ball from him, He's been, I'm on lockdown mode. He's been locking them up. So that's going to be a really interesting thing. Both ground games, I feel like to me, might could be a difference maker because, I mean, the, the thing is, is I don't think the Rams are going to be leaning as much on Wolford as the, Ram, or the, the Seahawks are going to be on Wilson. So, and Russell Wilson isn't a guy that's going to be like, you're going to give him Mahomes type volume, 50 passes and expect 400 yards. He's not that guy. He's more of the big time leader, big playmaker. So mm-hmm. to me, when how really these ground games yeah. adjust is going to see how this game progresses. Because really, if one gets dominant over the other, it could get ugly for half. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to come down to if Russell can kind of step up and really come in clutch for this game, then it's going to go Seahawks. But if the Rams defense can shut it down. It'll go Rams. I think that's going to be the main decision maker. But, I mean, next game we got Browns-Steelers going to be a good one. Browns in the playoffs finally uh, really turned the corner from that uh, 1-15 year uh, or 1-15 season that uh, basically the Browns fans had to had a little bit of a relationship with the Detroit Lions fans with how bad they were. But uh, finally they made the playoffs. But against the Steelers, against that Iron Curtain, are they going to be able to do it, Brandon? Here, here's the thing that's so, so interesting about this game. 
So the Browns made it in. First of all, Browns fans out there, great job. Celebrate like it's however long it's been. I can't remember the year off the top of my head, which is crazy because I've probably seen it about 100,000 times. But congrats to the Browns fans. They've finally gotten to the playoffs again. Well done. But this is worst case scenario for the Browns. And it kind of seems crazy to say that, but you, you play the Steelers last week. You kind of struggle a little bit. Baker didn't play that great. And he's been playing great in the second half of the season. He's really turned it on because we know how many people, I'll admit it, myself included, that have been wondering if Baker is truly the guy that's going to be the quarterback to lead this team to the playoffs. And realistically, he was that guy that turned it around near the end of the season because, frankly, at, like they, they were almost looking like they were going to throw it in the towel earlier in the season. Like they were struggling, overrated. And then Baker turns it on. Chubb comes back. This team's different. Oh, yeah. But now they just turned it around. Yeah, they've absolutely turned it around. But the team you have to play is the team that you've already played twice, had struggles against twice. And last week it included not playing any of the Steelers starters. That's a question mark because frankly, Mason Rudolph almost beat the Browns last week. Now you're going to have big Ben back and any football fan can know that big Ben can make big time plays in big time games. So that's a, that's alarming. And the fact is Kevin Stefanski is not going to be there for the Browns as he's going to be out with COVID without your head coach has been leading the troops all the way here. It's a little bit alarming. And for the Browns, you really hope that lightning can strike once again as, I mean, you're you're hoping a lot for the Cleveland Browns, but it's not looking good for you right now because this could be worst-case scenario, playing a team that has all the film on you that you've already played twice, and now they have a rejuvenation with all their starters coming back and you losing some guys, including receivers, possibly at COVID again, along with your head coach. Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, Brandon, lightning can strike twice, but it depends on if you can catch it in the bottle. But honestly, mm-hmm. I mean, Big Ben, I mean, when it comes to playoffs, he's just a different breed, really. He just built different. I mean, t- toss it back to when they played the Cardinals in the Super Bowl, and he came in clutch with that toe, 10 toes down catch to Antonio Brown in the corner. Toss it back yeah. to when he's just been clutch when it really matters. And I think that's going to be the main, the main difference between – Baker and him is just that Baker really hasn't been able to show all throughout his career that he's been able to be clutch when it really matters. Of course, he's had big games where he's come, he's has come in clutch, but those are not always consistent. But when it matters to Big Ben and when it really uh, kind of depends on him doing well, he's going to step up. He's going to be the leader that he knows he has to be, and he's going to be the classic Big Ben that's just has been a powerhouse in the league, that's been a force in the league for his basically his whole career. But like you said, Browns without their head coach is just gonna it's just a recipe for disaster, I think. I don't know if they're gonna be able to kind of figure out what they wanna do because I mean, like you said, Brandon, without your coach that's just brought you to the season, that's just a huge, huge asset that you're not gonna be able to get back. That's just gonna have a huge impact that I don't think a lot of people realize yet. But once once they see the kind of the first couple quarters and the first couple uh first couple plays of the game, they'll realize that uh Browns have a huge deficit that they gotta make up. Yeah, and frankly, like, you're, you're right about Baker. Like, he's not come up in some big games where he's needed to. There's been games in the regular season that he has, but when his back is truly against the wall, there's been times he fell flat. Going up against the, the Ravens in 2018 
was one of those times when they had to win and get in, but they had to beat the Ravens. They fell completely flat, and especially at the end of the game. They really lost their chance. So is this going to be a difference? Is, are they finally going to figure out how to be a playoff football team? Because realistically, even though they made the playoffs, there's some people that still question are the Browns legit, and which is crazy to think about, especially at the stretch they've had the last half of the season. But as of the game last week, there are some people that have real question marks, including me, after almost like you almost lost to Mason Rudolph and a lot of the second string guys as far as offense and line. And their defensive line has been banged up all year now with losing Devin Bush. And um, can't remember the man off the top, the other man off the top of my head. And I'm punching myself right now. But I mean, the my point is the Steelers are depleted. Like, they've lost their steam. They've lost a lot, like, a lot of their defense of key pieces to injury. You lose your undefeated record, go on a losing streak, and then you didn't play most of your starters last week. For the Browns, you, that you almost lost to a, that team is a little nerve-wracking, especially a team you've played twice that definitely have film on you. And Mike Tomlin knows how to take advantage of those opportunities in the playoffs. So it's going to be a good one to see, nonetheless. But... Another game on Sunday at 440, the Bears and the Saints. To me, this one's not close on paper, but theoretically, who knows what's going to happen because Saints, who they're going to have on the field is really going to be a question mark because all seemed well going into week 17, and then they lost all their running backs to COVID, meaning Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray. Thank goodness something came through and they were allowed to play with Ty Montgomery or they would have been without a running back and we would have saw a lot of QB draw all night. But they ended up getting the win, clinching themselves the two seed. Now they get to play the Bears. How the Bears made the playoffs is a complete different story. But to me, <laughs> if, if New Orleans gets Murray, if they get Kamara back, to me, that defense is so good. They're going to match the Bears for sure on defense and how great their offense is either with Breeze or with Taysom Hill. I don't see this as being a close game, but hey, magical Mitch, been okay the last couple of weeks, so I don't yeah, know. Has, it's crazy to say that. He has not been terrible, uh, which is insane, especially coming from a Lions fan, but we'll we'll see what happens. I don't really think that they <laughs> really have what it takes, to be honest, because it's the Bears. Um, and the Saints, they're going to find a way. I mean, Drew Brees will find a way. I mean, Taysom Hill, if need be, he can just step up and play the running back position because he just plays hard-nosed football 100, 110% of the time. So when it comes down to it, I feel like the Saints can improvise and adapt way more than the Bears can. And I think that's what's going to basically be the be the deciding factor is if, so, if you know, those crazy things that happen with COVID, if just something gets thrown to a wrench in it, if it's the Bears or the Saints and these uh, – next couple days leading up to the game, I think that's going to be the main, is the main, like I said, main deciding factor is going to be who's going to be able to adapt. And I think Seattle, or not Seattle, the Saints are going to be able to do that pretty well. And I think that's going to be the main reason why they're going to take the W. Yeah, if you're the Bears, you should be really thankful for the opportunity because frankly, it was the Cardinals opportunity to lose and they literally lost it thanks to an injury to Kyler Murray. And I know that that's, Cardinals, I mean, they the fact that Bears made it in over the Cardinals makes the Cardinals look so over like overrated because all the offensive weapons they had and how much they've sputtered throughout the year. But you gotta admit, the Bears 
they were five and one, and then they lost how many straight games, and then they've clawed their way back when their backs were against the wall. Everyone is counting them out after their what seventh loss of the season, and look where they are now in the playoffs, laughing at everybody, all the doubters that said they wouldn't make the playoffs. So this is an opportunity. If Mitch wants to be a legitimate quarterback consideration for this team, he's really got to win this game. And it's crazy to think that he still has a chance because everybody on Twitter, oh, everybody on social media, everybody that's a Bears fan still wonders to this day why Mitch Trubisky was drafted number two over Deshaun Watson and even Patrick Mahomes. Now I get it. Patrick Mahomes was not necessarily the guy that we were expecting him to be. But over a guy that won a national championship and I believe was an MVP, the fact is everybody is doubting you still. How are you going to prove yourself if you're Mitch Trubisky? How are you going to prove that you are the guy that can lead the Chicago Bears to the promised land after how many years? If you're going to be that guy, this is a game you got to go out and win. And you know the defense is going to be fired up because they always turn it on in big games. They held the Eagles, who were such an explosive offense earlier in, I believe, the 2017 season. And then it came down to a double doink. So the fact how you're going to bounce back, how you're going to improve yourselves from that time to now, how you're going to play is going to determine how you play against the New Orleans Saints because they're going to be they're, – they're if you're the Saints – this is, ro- this is a rollover. This is just a game to get to the next game. This, they're not really worried about you. How are you going to respond to that is what's going to determine the outcome of this game to me. It's either going to be a blowout or it's going to be close and the Bears are going to have a fighting chance. Yeah, I, I, I got to go with a blowout. I don't think that the Bears are going to have what it takes. I don't really think Mr. Bisky has what it takes in the playoffs, to be honest. But honestly, it's, it's a situation where, like, I can't, I can't see the Saints losing. And as I say that, I know that the Saints are going to lose because I just have that curse on me that whoever I definitely think is going to win just loses somehow. But to be <laughs> honest, if Bears, if Bears can pull it off, good on them, big ups, whatever you want to say, good, good for them. But don't think it's going to happen. But if it does, I'll accept it. I'll basically just say whatever. Whatever. Yeah, if they if they have my 49ers luck, the Bears are definitely going to win by 40 this weekend. So uh, who knows at this point? But I mean, it's going to it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. But um, now switching gears over to the next and upcoming in the NFL, the Heisman Trophy in college football. It was announced on Monday and boy, a lot of people were had had some interesting takes about it. But the winner was, drumroll please, I'm just kidding, you guys already know, it's Devontae Smith for, the, you know, for Alabama, wide receiver. He was fantastic. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, how did he not get it over Trask? How did he not get it over Trevor Lawrence? And like even Mac Jones, too. Like, I will say that these four, these four finalists were all fantastic football players. And I feel like whoever gets the Heisman Trophy shouldn't necessarily, oh, that guy was the best player in college football. Well, that is true, but don't 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 discredit any of the other three guys because the fact is they were all fantastic. So that shouldn't yeah. be taken away from them. Because I mean, frankly, Trevor Lawrence can be number one pick. He finished second in the voting. Mac Jones has had one of the best seasons in Alabama history as far as quarterbacks are concerned. And Kyle Trask was the guy that literally led the Florida Gators to on near playoff appearance. So the fact is they all have been great. But to me, it's cool. It's really cool to see that a position player got recognized because it seems like it's a really quarterback dominated award. But frankly, to me, Devontae Smith 
was the best non-quarterback in college football. He was one of the, I think he was more of a factor than Mac Jones as far as for Alabama's success. So I, I really do, really do appreciate that they gave it to Devontae Smith. I, I'm happy for him, obviously, because winning the Heisman is a huge deal. But I can kind of see what people are saying of how he got it over, like, Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence and Kyle Trask. Because, like, the thing is, with Mac Jones, he's the one who threw him those balls. So if you take Mac Jones out of the conversation and toss in another quarterback, would Devontae Smith have as good of a year as he as he did this year? So I think that's one of the main kind of arguments that people throw in there is, like, if if he got it, why didn't Mac Jones? Because, like, you can just flip-flop it both ways, like, because Devontae Smith then would have gotten him basically the – if or if – excuse me, if Mac Jones won the Heisman, then it will basically just be like Devontae Smith got him there because he was the one receiving all of his passes, and that's mainly the reason why he could pad his stats so much. So you can kind of look at it from both ways. And, I mean, to me, I thought it was going to be Trevor Lawrence that won it because – He's just been one of the most influential players so far. Just any game that he is in, they just kind of – that really is just a main factor of why they're going to win is to be like, oh, Trevor Lawrence is playing. That's just going to be a win because a lot of people, and myself included, think that he's – I think he's the best player in college football right now and arguably one of the best players to ever play college football. So I think he was a little bit snubbed coming off of this game. I think it's mainly just because he didn't play against Notre Dame and when they lost against him, that was probably the main reason why. And um, and probably also because they lost to Ohio State in the in the um, in the uh, playoffs. And honestly, that's another thing that a lot of people think about is why, if you really think about the Heisman, you just kind of forget about they kind of forget about the whole season upcoming until those big games. They really look at the top three big games that you play, like the playoffs that Trevor Lawrence was in. That's probably the one of them. That's like the main reason why they he didn't win is because they didn't win the playoffs. And on it. I can kind of see why, but also I feel like it just discredits the regular season and discredits kind of like the the the, the meaningful games. I'm doing air I'm doing air quotes meaningful by saying like those games that are should be wins and they show out, but when it comes to it, they get the job done. But now since he lost in the playoffs, that's kind of just destroyed his hope. So I get why, but I mean, there's it's just a conversation for another day. Yeah, and I completely understand that point of view. And I, I understand a lot of people's view is like this these group of finalists were such a unique group that really anybody there was an argument for everybody. Now, like in years past it was really kind of a a yay or nay. It was the top two. Like this was a legitimate any of these four could win. Like there were there was a lot of seasons where it's like, yep. It's really going to be this guy or it's going to be this guy. The other two are in the conversation, but they're not going to win it. This one was really, you have a case for everybody because you're exactly right. Mac Jones was a crucial part of Devontae Smith's success. Now, I think the point of perspective that a lot of these people voted on is the fact is Devontae Smith would have put up the same numbers with or without Mac Jones. And he's been such a dominant guy and like, like you watch him, there's been times like he's taken on the best corners in the SEC and the country, and he's made them look like freshmen. And he's been such a great route runner and such a big playmaker. And you look at the numbers he's put up, he was the probably the by far the best wide receiver in college football, but arguably the best player in college football. And that's why the reason he got it. Mac Jones was great. And to be to be frank, like he was better than like statistically wise, he was better than Tua. And he, it seemed like he played more efficiently than Tua did. But, I mean, the fact is, is 
I feel like if you're a quarterback from Alabama, you kind of get discredited a little bit because the expectations are so high. And I think that's one thing that puts Kyle Trask differently than these other two guys with Trevor Lawrence as well. Because Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones, you're at Clemson, you're at Alabama. You're expected to be great. And anything less than that is garbage. At least. Yes. For Kyle Trask, there's not that much expectation. Now, obviously, he's good. But before the season starts, are you going to put Kyle Trask above these two guys? No. Absolutely not. Are you expecting him to be better? No. And that's why everybody was kind of like, oh, why did Trask not get the respect? But the reality is that he's he came in. He didn't have any expectations. That's one of the main reasons why. Yeah. And I think it, like he finished last in the voting. And I know I saw somebody that was saying, oh, well, he had the best stats of any of these two quarterbacks. He didn't even beat him. Like, I don't, this is just a popularity contest. But stats aren't necessarily what make you a Heisman Trophy winner. It's not necessarily the guy that makes you the best player in college football because Kyle Trask was great, but there was times that him and that Florida offense did fall flat. And it's kind of crazy to think like 30 points for them. Look, theoretically speaking, was falling flat sometimes because they were used to scoring so high. And I think that's one of the reasons why like them losing three games really was crucial to Trask's fall in the Heisman. Because if he would have went... 11-0, there's no question that he'd probably be above those two candidates. But the fact that they lost some of those games and he had a couple bad, like I believe it was against Alabama, he had two interceptions, I believe it was, and they lost that game in a crucial game. To them, that that depleted his resume. And the fact is, Mac Jones looked a lot better, and that's why he got more votes. But, yeah, Trevor Lawrence also deserves a lot of credit because the fact (laughs) – it's crazy. We're going to have Trevor Lawrence go to the NFL, and he's never won a college football award for how great he's been. Yeah, That's that's, crazy to think about. Honestly, kind of disrespectful. But, I mean, to go back to Kyle Trask, though, it's it's weird because, like, if you just base it – because, like I said, it's a lot of – it's very much based off of how you play in bowl games and how you play on big games. But, like, if you really look at his bowl game – what can you really expect from him? Because most of his wide receivers are sitting out because they declared for the draft. They don't want to play in the bowl game because they don't want to hurt themselves. That that could be also another. We that could also be another debate for another day. Is is sitting out for bowl games because you declared for a draft just a a jerk move? Because honestly, that hurts. One hurts Kyle Trask. Hurts Kyle Trask's opportunities to win the Heisman. It hurts his opportunities to win other awards, and also hurts his opportunities in the draft because it makes his draft stock go so low. And I mean, to me, honestly, that's just like, if you're, if your main priority at the time is instead of being on your team and helping your team win rather, or rather of helping yourself and just sitting out. So that way you can get a guaranteed shot at the NFL, or I wouldn't say guaranteed either. I'd say just getting a shot at the NFL or helping your team in the now that you've gotten to that point so far in the season to a pretty much a primetime bowl game and you sit out and you're basically the reason why your quarterback and your team lose the game, I don't really have a whole lot of respect. And that's one of the main reasons why I think Kyle Trask wasn't really in the conversation as much as, you know, Devontae Smith, Mac Jones, and Trevor Lawrence was for the Heisman. And I think that's one of the, like I said, we can have a debate about that another day, but because um, I, I could go on and on about that because I have a lot of opinions. But it just it just gets me annoyed because Kyle Trask really was a good quarterback and he really was in the conversation up until that point, up until 
his receivers gone by and he threw three picks and then he had to sit out basically the whole game, let the backup do the work. Yeah, the game that I was referring to, the two interception game was LSU and Alabama. Yeah. That game yeah. was, I think, crucial in this this voting because if he, frankly, if you look at it, he wins that game against LSU. They go in with momentum and they only lost to Alabama by six. They somehow score another touchdown and they beat Bama. Now they're pretty much a playoff team at that point. Yeah, or they're guaranteed, guaranteed spot in the playoffs. Guaranteed yeah, you're gonna make playoffs. you're gonna make a New Year's six for sure. And if he does that, like he's gonna skyrocket because those two losses were in such crucial moments where guys like Devontae Smith and Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence outside of the semifinal game for Trevor Lawrence. They went up to those expectations and blew them out of the water because Mac Jones was fantastic against Kyle Trask, too. I think Trask had a, maybe a couple more yards, but Mac Jones was more efficient, more completions, a lot better than Kyle Trask, even though the numbers are kind of the opposite. Because, I mean, Kyle, you look at the numbers. Kyle Trask is one of the best college football quarterbacks we've ever seen, and that shouldn't be taken away from him because he put up a lot of great games. I mean, the first game of the year, he threw six touchdowns for crying out loud. That's impressive. But with those expectations going up into this game, Kyle Trask then went to LSU, had a subpar game, then lost to Alabama, and then the Oklahoma game, I think you should just throw out because you're absolutely right. No, not having not like literally only Tony as one of your weapons compared to everybody else they had and their defense was like just seemed like they were asleep. That's they, you should not have that game in consideration, but it probably was. And that's that's the crazy thing is because that he had to do everything, and that resulted in those interceptions. And just the fact is, I mean, if you didn't like if you didn't meet those expectations, you weren't going to win the. You if you were going to meet those expectations, you're going to have a much better chance to make the Heisman because Devontae Smith he did that and then some. And I think that really came into play when the voting came in. Yeah, it was, I don't know, it's a, the Heisman I feel like is a lot of just, it's obviously a prestigious award, but sometimes I feel like it's just too focused on one game or two games, and it just kind of throws it out the window for basically the other rest of the season. But, Brandon, I think that's a, this is a time where we can get into a couple, couple of the New Year's Six Bowls and the also uh, January Two Bowls as well. Pretty, honestly, a pretty good wrap so far. Uh I think we start off probably with the playoffs, I guess. Alabama versus Notre Dame. Alabama really blew out, blew Notre Dame out of the water. I was pretty much expecting that. Didn't really think Notre Dame was going to do too well in the Rose Bowl game. First time that the Rose Bowl game was not played in California. It was played in Arlington. Little fun fact for you. Um, but, mm-hmm. I mean, Alabama, they played really well. Notre Dame, they were just kind of struggling throughout the whole game. Alabama was always in control. Uh, basically just kind of showed out the whole game. Yeah, I think yeah. everybody expect everybody expecting coming in knew Alabama was going to win this game. By how much was really the question mark. I mean, the line coming into this game was 19 points, and they literally they literally almost got that. They they won by 17, and the reason why is because Alabama offensively has been so dominant that Notre Dame is a great fundamental team, and really, what fundamentals is what got them there because they're not lighting up. They're not lighting up the scoreboard. Kyle Trask scoring 50 points. They've been beating teams with fundamentals, hard work, grit, and just playing better football in the moments that count. And that's what got them into the college, their college football playoff, regardless of what happened against Clemson. 
So the fact to me was why did they run so much with Ian Book to try to establish that early? Because I, they did that on the first couple drives and they gave Alabama 14 points. At that point, to me, it was like, how in, how in the world are you going to come back now? That, yeah, that, you that just was just your, crazy. You shot crazy. yourself in, a, in the foot all, already at the start of the game. And it's like now you're just trying to claw your way back and you can't do it, especially with Devontae Smith getting three touchdowns and Mac Jones getting four. You can't really, you can't really do too much about that. Yeah, I, I, it's just, it was just crazy to me. Like, if you're if you're Notre Dame, like, you got to come out, you got to come out swinging. Like, you got to have your best stuff out of the beginning of the game because that's how that's how you're gonna get your point across. Because when you get when Alabama stuffs you twice, they're like, oh, yep, this is the Notre Dame we expected coming in. They're gonna run a lot of quarterback. They're gonna do a, a lot of heavy ground and pound early to try to establish that, and it didn't work. And Alabama did what they did. I mean, Devontae Smith had 130 yards, three touchdowns in this game. Najee Harris had 125 yards in this game on 15 carries. That's almost eight yards a carry. Eight yards a carry. That's doubling all of Notre Dame's rushers. So the fact is Alabama was just dominant from the first snap to the last whistle. And it just showed why they should be in, they should be the number one team in the country and they should be in the playoff final because, frankly, they're the best team in college football offensively and defensively. Yeah, it was it was definitely just a situation where Notre Dame just did not play smart, I don't think, to start the game off because, like you said, they had to come out strong and show Alabama that they meant business or else Alabama was just going to take anything that they could get. And, I mean, they just really were just, like I said, in control. They had the get foot on the pedal the whole game, and it was just basically over before it even started. I mean, Notre Dame showed up. There was already 30 on the scoreboard. That's all I can say. They did not play very good at all. I I was pretty disappointed, but it was very it was very much what I thought the, how the game was gonna go. Yeah, it was it was unfortunate for Notre Dame because I mean they have had a good season and they've they've done a lot of great things, but now everybody's just gonna be thinking about oh man if A and M would have played them if A and M was playing Alabama if they were in or whatever Ohio State doesn't make it, it it's a whole different story and it's sad to think that but. If it, it's just hard for Notre Dame because we've seen them now get in this situation twice, three times, and they fell flat all three times. So now everybody's like, "Oh, we should ban, we should ban them from the playoff," and that's the funniest thing. I mean, because that wouldn't be the it's, worst thing. <laughs> it's it's so hard if you're no. I'm so sorry if you're a Notre Dame fan because consistently just getting blasted like this in a big game is so hard to take because. They've took care of business. They've done all these great things. And when they when the big lights come on, they they just they show up and they're starting yeah, on the board. It's, I don't know what to say. It it's I don't know. It's I don't think they should be banned, but they should just really figure out what they need to do differently because what they're doing now is just not going to work out. But, I mean, other playoff bowl, uh, Sugar Bowl, Ohio State-Clemson, pretty surprising situation. <laughs> Pretty surprising outcome for that. 49-28, to 28, Ohio State comes out on top. I was not expecting that much of a difference in points. I was expecting it to be basically a shootout from beginning to end, kind of like last year's um, uh, playoff meeting between the two. But Ohio State, they came for revenge. They came for that statement game that they really weren't going to come down and really go out lightly, especially like last year with that uh, game-ending game uh, interception that Justin Fields threw. He really wanted redemption, and I think he really came out with it. Two, 22 for 28, 
385 yards, six touchdowns, and one interception. That that stat line is just incredible. Yeah, uh, if you're an Ohio State fan, this is exactly what you wanted, you were expecting, and you so desperately needed. And it's just crazy. And if you're, if <laughs> I mean. Tabo Sweeney, after making the comment that they're the 11th best team in the nation, and then you end up getting blown out by 21. That's rough. <laughs> That's pretty yeah, rough. And I, I feel bad for some of the Clemson players that had to go through probably a lot of that harassment, especially with how, how the game was played for the most part. Because, I mean, Trevor Lawrence kind of 400 yards, two touchdowns. For him, that's, that's not any different of a game. But, I mean, Justin Fields was so fantastic. And you're right. Like, he just seemed like out the whole game. I mean, he took that huge hit. He was he, he seemed like he was injured. He was probably not going to play at one point because he couldn't throw the ball without wincing. He, he, he stayed in there. He had a job to do. He knew he wasn't going to let his boys down. And he wanted revenge in this game. And they got it. They, they really did. I think Clemson, I mean, they did a lot of great things. They didn't run the ball very well at all. It was basically non-existent. And I think that was a big reason why the game ended the way it did. Because, I mean, when you got Trey Sermon doing what he's done all year, getting 150-plus game or 150-yard-plus games, getting six average yards per carry on the ground. Like, if you go into first and 10, even if you're backed up at your own 20, but you know your running back's going to get six, seven yards on the first play, that's much different than Clemson saying we're going to have to either throw it or we're going to have to take the two or three yards. Like that's a complete different thing. And Ohio State was able to adjust the game plan. Clemson's DBs, this is one thing I'll say that really hurt them. Clemson's DBs were all over the place. I don't know exactly what the problem was. I know that their their main captain, I think his name, I think his name's Thomas in the secondary. Um, he was out, I believe, for the first half because of a targeting call in yeah. – the ACC championship game, I believe it was, and he couldn't play until the, the second half. And then Skalski also leaves the game because of that, that targeting call oh, when he hit field. I don't think that was targeting. That was stupid. Yeah. I, I, this, he, from, what okay. they have, from what they have in the rule book, that is targeting. But yeah, let, okay. should that be targeting is the question he, because, he frankly, led, that was a was good hit. I will give you that. Uh, he led with the crown. And you can say – you can just say like, oh, you're arguing valid because you just submitted that. Justin Fields spun for one. And also, I think it's mainly he wouldn't have hit him with his head because he was just going forward if he didn't spin. Because that would have been a textbook tackle. Uh, Scouse was going for the tackle at the waist the way you're supposed to do a traditional textbook tackle. And it just so happens that Justin Fields spins into it. He catches his rib. Also, he's wearing a rib protector, so I don't understand why, like, that was such a huge thing. But also, I just I just get annoyed because it, feel, it feels like they're really just trying to take away traditional tackling because I feel like a lot of people who – I mean, a lot of people I know are complaining because it just seems like they're trying to tackle at the shoulders and strip the ball and bring him down instead of really – Taking taking him down at the waist, taking the legs out of the out of the situation, making it so that they can't go farther anymore. And I just I get annoyed because it seems like they're just trying to take out that aspect of having clean, good tackles out of the game, and it just is annoying. Yeah, I think if you if he makes that hit with his head 
over to the side and his shoulder leaning first, they're not going to call targeting. The, the, I think that was just the nature of it because the way he made that tackle, according to the college football rule book, is you cannot lead with your head or the crown of your helmet into a player that is considered defenseless. And they use defenseless. The spin made that, him defenseless. The spin did. Ex- that's that's the point I'm making. Is they the have to make it his, more clear what that the reason means. Why his, that's the main reason why his helmet got hit was just put in a bad situation. Because when it, if he would have just gone straight on, there's no way that the the guy's a uh, a captain of the one of the captains of the team, main linebackers who's been playing his whole life. He knows not to lead with his head. He's not going to go straight on into Justin Fields' gut with his helmet. He's going to go to the side. But that spin makes it so that way his helmet catches in the bad spot of Justin Fields' ribs, and that's the main reason why it's called the targeting is because of the spin. And that's what I get annoyed about is because that's what makes him defenseless because he's not facing him. And I don't know. It just gets me annoyed because it feels like textbook tackling is just getting shamed in, in college football nowadays. And it gets me annoyed. Yeah, right? Yeah, I need a, I need to take a break. Man. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're, you look like you are very, very invested in this topic. And I think I had, I think a, I had an thing. argument with my I had a not an argument because me and my dad were in agreement. But we were just like venting about how uh, football nowadays is just getting like. Not as – I mean, of course, if you look back then, like, there was basically no penalties at all. But it's just like tackling is just not what it used to be. I feel like they're no. just now trying to strip the ball. They're trying to get the ball out of – which is dumb because most of the time they're not going to be able to punch it out unless the receiver is just not very good at protecting the ball. And we – like, I, that can be another debate is if people are just not as not as safe with the ball too. But it just is a situation where it gets annoyed be, annoying because people can so easily stop someone – five yards back instead of giving them more yards because they're trying to tackle at the shoulders and trying to get the ball out of their possession. All right. I'll, I'll write that down. We'll, we'll add that to the list. We'll keep, we'll, we'll keep it, all these one of these, one of these days. We just got to do an episode of just debate topics, like five, deba- five, just straight debates, nothing else. Yeah. We might have to have, we might have to have the hot five come back, but strictly the hot five for the episode. Let us know if we should do that on our Twitter at the MBSP. But in the end, Clemson without um, – excuse me. I, I, I can't remember his na- – name. I will literally check out right now for you. But um, without they, – they were all over the place in the secondary. I don't know where they were, but, I mean, they were – they had blown coverages, it seemed like, left and right. Like, so many of those big plays were wide open. Just – oh, it was just insane. I mean – it, it was so hard to watch because, I mean, like, they, they were such a solid, good defense that was really – they played the game the right way. They they don't give up so many points, and if they do, Trevor bails them out. But, frankly, they just they just were not – Bale Inspector, that is the guy I was thinking of, yeah. number 29, their captain. Yes, he was out for the first half of this game, and he's the leader of that defense. And when that first half progressed, they were – all over the place. There were so many blown coverages. I mean, you look back at some of the touchdown highlights, you see like their tight end, I believe it was, leaked out on a, like a little miniature, I think you call it, or it was basically an, an S-curve route, whatever kind of a route you want to call it. Basically a little tiny drag over the top and then funnels into a wheel into the corner of the end zone. And nobody picked him up. Like the safeties all went to the left because they followed fields. The linebackers came in 
he's he's wide open for a touchdown. Like there were so many plays where he was just they just gave up coverage. And then literally you look at like I believe it was the their second touchdown of the game when they throw to the tight end. The dude's covered and he just misses the ball to knock it down. Like he's in the perfect position to knock the ball down, misses. Like there's so many big little mental mistakes that really just gave up the momentum for Clemson's defense. And it, it frankly was just, it was just hard to watch because Clemson's a better team than that. And I think, I don't know if it was exactly not having Spectre on the field, not having a leadership, but it was tough to see because Clemson's a better team than what they showed in that semifinal game. Yeah, it was, it was just a weird situation because like Clemson, I mean, they're a good team. It's just, they had a little bit of a fluke game. So it's just, I don't know. It's it's weird because we're not used to seeing that from Clemson football, and especially a Dabo Sweeney team who's conditioned for winning. But, I mean, a couple other scores uh, from other big bowl games. Peach Bowl, Georgia-Cincinnati. I was kind of sad about this game. I thought Cincinnati was going to pull out the win here. But Me Georgia too. ends up on top, 24-21. Cincinnati cannot pull out. I mean, they were ranked higher, but I think oh. it would have just been an upset. They were Cincinnati beating them. Just, they were beating them the whole they game. Were up, they were oh. up. And they can't oh, get the job done. I think Cincinnati, Cincinnati, for you. I forgot who it was, but it was Cincinnati. One of Cincinnati's like team oh. captains just sat out there on the field during the trophy ceremony by himself. Oh, yeah. He's going to come he's back and the- he's going to make sure that Cincinnati's going to be a force to be reckoned with next year. I guarantee it. I know. Oh, that yeah. He's doing the Justin Fields. Yeah, he's, their putting mentality, the score, he's putting their the scoreboard mentality, in the weight room every time he walks in. Yeah. Their mentality is going to be. Hard nose. This whole off season, this whole upcoming season, they're gonna be hard nosed, ready to get back, ready to get back at it, and just ready to redeem themselves, especially. But Indeed. I was honestly kind of sad. Gator Bowl, uh, Kentucky versus NC State. Kentucky with an upset, twenty three to twenty one. NC State was uh, they didn't play as hot. It was kind of even all throughout. All basically the second quarter was kind of the main difference because uh, Kentucky kind of showed out for that one, but. NC State didn't play too well. Uh, Bailey Hockman, their quarterback, was 27 for 43 interceptions. Uh, so, I mean, when you really can't win too many times when you have three interceptions. Uh, a lot of no. unwanted overturns. And then, you know, Kentucky, they just did well on the ground. Uh, Asim Rose, 12 carries, 148 yards. Chris Rodriguez with two touchdowns on the ground. It's just a very all-around all very good win for Kentucky. Uh, Outback Bowl, Indiana versus Mississippi. Indiana can't get the job done. Big Ten was not very well. or Other than Ohio State, Big Ten didn't really show out too much in the bowl yeah. game in the, in the postseason. So kind of sad. 26-20 loss. Can't really do too much about that. But the Fiesta Bowl was a pretty good one to watch, Brandon. Iowa State silenced a lot of the haters. 34-17 really showed out. That was a good game to watch. Yeah, I think <laughs> it was – if you're Iowa State – I know I know a couple of Iowa State fans, ironically, and they they were all so hyped up, like, oh, we might have a chance to get in the playoff because of the whole circumstances of A plus B plus C equals F plus R times X happens. Like, they had a chance. Theoretically, they really didn't have a chance, but they, they were really excited for it. They could find their way into a 560, and then the dreadful loss to Oklahoma, this is the way, this is how they bounce back, and that's you got to give credit to Matt Campbell because their guys, they should not have came out with the fire and the energy they did because theoretically you look at what, what happened and transgressed over that week. It was brutal. Like you have a chance to go into a new year, oh, pretty much a big time new year six bowl, or even have a slim, so slight chance to make it in the playoff. And you come up short 
in the way they did and they come out and they just stomp on Oregon, that, that's, that's a pretty cool accomplishment because you have your backs against the wall. Because, frankly, you look at how Iowa State did and you look how Florida did. Now, I understand that there was, there was people leaving for Florida. I get that because, I mean, they, obviously you have to look at their career as far as some of them are their only chances to go this year and you don't want to waste it. So, the, but the fact is you compare the two team performances, they both were very similar in the proceedings up to the games, Iowa State played much better, much more passion, and a much better football game than Florida did. And that's got to give credit to the coaching staff because they really rallied the troops together because they flat out dominated Oregon across the board. Mm -hmm. And it's really good to see because, like you said, Iowa State, they're filled with a lot of guys who probably won't make it to the NFL. And this was their one chance to really show out and kind of get the recognition that they deserve. And they did extremely well. They showed out why they're one of the best teams in the country. But next game we got, Brandon, Orange Bowl, the people's number four, Texas A&M, stomps North Carolina 41-27, to gets the job done. Kellen Mond does what he does. Did all right, not the greatest, but, you know, he got the job done. Uh, their rushing was one of the main reasons why they got the, why they got the W. Devin McCain, uh, two touchdowns. Isaiah Spiller, two touchdowns as well for the pair. Just a, just a really overall great game for Texas. North Carolina can't keep up. It's just really great to see. Yeah, if you're... A&M, like your starter in Isaiah Spiller goes down. You're, you're looking down and, oh, all right, Devin, you're in. And he comes out with a 75-yard touchdown run or 76 yards or whatever it was. Like, this is, um, this is incredible. He, he was fantastic because he really kind of closed the game out because it looked kind of like North Carolina was hanging around a little bit. They were still in the game. Like, you, you had some you could put some bets down that they pull the comeback. It's just, it was just kind of crazy. Then Devin, a chain, a cane, whatever you want to call it comes in 76 yard touchdown finishes it off the next drive. Cause it was only, it was a tie game. It was 27, 27 when this went down. And the fact is he came in the game. He, he really helped that team win that football game. And that should deserve a lot of credit from the second string guy. Cause he might've just won the starting job. That's how big of a game he had. Yeah, Texas A&M really showed out. A lot of people are disappointed that they didn't get number four. I think that's one of the main reasons that they probably had a chip on their shoulder coming to this game, especially not, um, especially not getting a New Year's Six Bowl. That was kind of, in my opinion, a little bit disrespectful, uh, especially with how they played this year. But they really gave it to North Carolina. They came in, they came in hard. It's just what they did, what they needed to do. They got it done, and then some. They just got, they're just a really good game. Just, a, just a good game overall. I'm really happy to see. Mm-hmm, for sure. And also shout out to, to Liberty. They ended Coastal's undefeated run. So shout out to them. Hey, that was a pretty impressive win. Out of you, Liberty. But I think to close out the show, Brandon, we're going to hop into this quick little discussion. I uh, I had this idea uh, yesterday as well. Um, Brandon, obviously New Year's Six and getting into a bowl game is a special occasion for a lot of good game, or a lot of good teams. But we obviously some slip through the cracks, and there's a couple of bowl games that just don't seem like they make too much sense and why they got there, Brandon. So do you think that the bowl games are kind of getting oversaturated with that kind of market, and they're really not as special to get into one um, for a lot of teams at the end of the year? Yeah, frankly, I do think that they are. There is – there's – I think there's – I don't want to say there's like two – there's – there's – some too many bowl games. I mean, you look at some of them, like 
it's it's hard for a lot of people like us that watch want to watch great college football and watch the best of the best compete because there's some teams that are they're frankly deserving to play in a bowl game but it's like when you're is anybody going to go out and watch a game with Louisiana Tech and Georgia Southern is anybody going to go out and watch a game where you got teams like Louisiana and University of Texas San, or San Antonio are you going to go out and watch Buffalo, versus, Buffalo versus Marshall like I mean of course, Buffalo had a good year, good game or a good season this year, but like comparatively, they're not the greatest games to watch. And I mean, especially this year, we had less because of COVID. Last year, I think we had what close to forty or something like that. Uh, it seemed like it. And I probably probably next year we'll have just as many, but this year we had a little bit less, like I said, because of COVID. But honestly, it's it's frustrating to see teams who have a losing record getting into a bowl yes. game for the sole yes. reason. For the sole reason that it's just they need to fill the spot just so that they can get the money from the sponsorship and the money from the, yes. or the check from the TV from the TV company just so that they can fill it. And I, I honestly think it's disrespectful to kind of the other teams who get into bowl games just to have like in that category of bowl teams to have like Georgia is not in the same conversation as UT or UT San Antonio. No, 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 no question. It's like. I just feel like it's way oversaturated. They need to cut back on it. And I'm, I mean, there's a couple of them that are really good, like the ones that you don't expect too much. There's high scoring games, but when it comes down to it, when 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 is the when is the line going to be drawn? Because there's no there's no shortage of uh, companies and stuff that'll pay or sponsor bowl games so that way they can have teams and get the get the publicity and stuff from the TV. So when are you going to draw a line? Are you going to draw it at sixty? Are you going to draw it at a hundred? What are you going to draw it just anywhere? Everyone gets a bowl game? Because at that point, if you're already putting teams with losing losing records in there, what's stopping you from putting a winless team in there? If it comes to that point where you need to fill a spot, if you need to fill a contract agreement and a sponsorship deal so that a bowl game can get played, when do you draw the line? Yeah, it, it's, it's so hard because, like, frankly, like, we were going to see – a three and seven football team in Arkansas going to be playing in a bowl game against a six and four TCU in the the Mercari Texas Bowl. Now I understand the Texas significance and how. When was that, that bowl made? Like the last year? Like it makes no sense. It it's it's so hard to me. Like I don't. I honestly think like being over five hundred doesn't make you an automatic bowl team because. Like if you if you make it into I know like this is completely this is completely different but if you make it to the NFL, like there's only maybe a handful of teams. Okay, NFC East excluded because they're yeah, always in the NFL, yeah, they, even... they don't count for all the other seven divisions. The fact is, if you are six and five, does that mean that you're good enough to be considered for a bowl game? To me, that's be. I don't. I don't, I don't think it does. Like you have to be able to, but that's the hardest part is I don't know how they're going to fit that criteria because the fact is they got to put it, they got to put it pen on paper to say, this is what you need to make a bowl game. And frankly, that's, that's the easiest way for them to make a bowl game because they get more money, the more bowl games they put out and the more sponsorship deals they do make with some of these, like the new era pinstripe bowl or the Macari Texas bowl. Like some of these games where like, Frankly, the teams that are playing are not necessarily going to be bowl worthy, but 
they have two teams. They have a deal. They make it. Everybody wins in this scenario. But the, it's, to me, there's just there's no high standard anymore, it seems like, for bowl games. It has to be yeah. moved up. I don't know what has to be done to do that. But to me, it's just – it's too – like, having uh, having literally losing record teams in bowl games just shows, like, they're they're just doing too much. And it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to it's be, like – It's only for money. It, it's it's so tough. I don't I don't I don't know what you need to do to fix it, but there yeah. there there are too there are too many bowl games. I think the standards should be put up higher. I'm not saying that we should have New Year's Six only or conference champions only. I'm saying we need to be able to say that these two teams deserve to be in a bowl game and have been so accomplished throughout the year compared to saying, yeah, they're 500. We have a sponsorship deal made. So they're going to yeah. play in the bowl game, regardless if they're three and seven or not. Yeah, because how are you going to? I mean, there's teams usually in the Big Ten that go three games over 500 that could compete with a lot of good teams throughout the year, but they won't get a bowl game because they just don't get the sponsorship deal, or they'll or they could get into a bowl game that's lower, but just because that they're in the big like. Let me. I just saw one. There's the the New Mexico Bowl, Hawaii versus Houston. Say like. It was like in say Indiana was put in that position because they could have played in that bowl. Why didn't they get put in that bowl? Because they were a better team and they got into that. Because it just gets frustrating because when it comes down to the point of there's gonna be an elite team or there's gonna be a good team that deserves a bowl spot and they don't get it, but a team who's way worse than them gets one just because they need to fill that contract spot, it just gets annoying because I feel like a lot of deserving teams are just gonna get snubbed. Yeah, the, it's it's hard because, like, obviously COVID has changed the the dynamic of the postseason. I we we completely understand that. Like, there's not as many teams that are playing. They've played less games. Like, there there had like this this year has been a lot different because the fact is they have to play. Like, they have so many bowl games lined up for this year, and how the circumstances have they're going to have to take teams that have a losing record. We completely understand that. But I mean, to like literally last year, we had we had pretty similar, pretty similar experience because there was a lot of games where it was like that, where six and fives played six and fives. So to me, it's just like we need to re- revamp the bowl criteria to be able to play past December 21st and be able to play in these bowl games. I think that has to be revamped because. It's 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 hard because like we understand like oh what's wrong with these two teams playing like what what's wrong with Tulane and Nevada playing on the twenty second like no we're gonna we're gonna make money they're gonna play another game like every everybody's happy in this scenario but it's like it's so hard for us to sit back and just say wait what exactly are the criteria to be in a bowl game? Because these guys are six and six, the other team is seven and two. Like, what what necessarily has to be done to get in a bowl game? When you have to question that, is that That's does that mean it's it. being done That's for the right reason? That bowl game, or you it, have it's so hard. I don't know. It's annoying because it's just about money. It's just about sponsorships, and as long as there's people that like to watch football, they're gonna watch those bowl games, and it's just gonna be a whole bunch of different stuff that that goes into it that probably we're probably going to see more bowl games. Honestly, it's going to get to the point where there's going to be, 
it's definitely going to get to the point where they just got to fill it with whoever's just available at that point. Can't do that. Yeah, that's going to be when... I can't do that. Like, like that what, what, what does that do for, like, for these these small these small school teams it's like oh well we can go three and six and make a bowl game what is that like yeah, it, there's, takes there's, the incent- it takes the incentive out of actually doing good in the game because you're exactly. rewarded for being less than average you're rewarded for being average and i don't think in a college football setting in a college athletic setting in anything you shouldn't be awarded for being average you should be a- rewarded for having a team that's exceptional that's above average that's better than the rest that consistently plays better than everybody else agreed like that we need to see a higher standard more incentive to be a good football team because like we can't afford to see some of these bad games like we some people have set time out of their day to watch some of these bowl games and when you see these teams like if if we ended up seeing like two three and sevens playing a bowl next year like i'm not watching but yeah, I understand, it's, it's like, it's time. I'm it's not so, watching it's a bowl hard. game to watch drop passes and overthrows. I'm not watching a bowl game for that. I'm watching a bowl game to see two incredible teams play against each other that were not good enough to make the playoffs, but were still super good to make a, a very competitive and very entertaining game to watch. If, I'm not watching it to watch two charity, basically two charity handouts to play in a bowl game. Yeah, it, it's hard, and I think that's something that they're going to have to look at. And obviously, this year's been different, and yeah. there's more. The circumstances are different. We understand that, but frankly, when going into next year, we hope that there is more incentive to be in the bowl game. That's, I think, the goal that we're trying to we're trying to get across is we want to see more incentive to be in a bowl game. We want to see better bowl games because, frankly, we want to see teams that deserve to be here. We don't want to see teams that are sub they're subpar they don't really care oh it's another game whatever because there have been some teams that played like that in the bowl games like there's been teams that have not played well have sub 500 record and played terrible in the bowl game and it just seems like oh well it's like oh we are in a bowl game okay so we get we're just playing another game like there's nothing there's nothing to that there needs to be there needs to be more incentive and higher standards yeah it lost its magic but I think we'll call it a day there, Brandon. I don't think we should oh, end the yeah. night on a, on a bad note and go to bed angry. Yeah. But thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. <laughs> Next time you hear us, we'll be in the studio. We'll have better voice Ooh, quality. Yeah. and it be a better episode overall because we love being in the studio. Can't wait to go back to school for that. So thank you so much for tuning in. Brandon, got anything else to add? No, sir. Can't wait. I can't wait to see your face in person again, my friend. Can't, can't wait. Can't wait to see you too, Brandon. Take care, everybody.